Hey, and welcome to Skip Intro, the new podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. Each week, we're here to discuss the biggest new shows on Binge. My name is John Bowen, here with Ali Herbert Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge. Great to see you, Ali. What are we discussing this week? Hi, John. We are talking about, and just like that, the next chapter of Sex in the City, which seems to have taken over my social media feed and lots of the conversation around Australia at the moment. We're up to episode three, so we've got a little bit to cover there. We're also talking about Succession, with season three having just concluded uh, its nine-episode run. And then we've got a little bit of a sneak peek to talk about Love Me, Binge's first original commission that launches on Boxing Day. Awesome. Lots to get through. But first, and just like that ladies your table is ready they say some things never change but the truth is life is full of surprises and as your story unfolds the city reinvents itself and just like that new chapter begins. 23 years after the original series premiered and 11 years after the last film, Sex and the City is back and navigating 2021 in a streaming world. The series has been an inescapable phenomenon over the last two decades, influencing television, fashion, and the way we talk about sex. Let's get some stats out of the way first, Ali. Shockingly, this was the first cable series to ever win an Emmy for Best Comedy, showing just how groundbreaking it was back in the late 1990s. Um, and equally as impressive, I think, it is also Binge's biggest premiere ever. Big stats out the gate. With an iconic heritage like that as a show, it had a lot that it probably needed to prove and a lot that it needed to say as it comes back in 2021 and what a different world we are in than the New York City of 1998. And it feels like a different show straight out of the gate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We've seen a lot of reboots recently, but I don't think any have been quite as anticipated as this one. We've seen not only with our audiences ravenously binging their way through the original series, catching up uh, just in time for the for the reboot to start. We are now three episodes in. So much has been said about the, the reboot. Where to start? Well, where to start is I think you've got a really big fan base of this show, so lots of expectations coming in. There were some controversial moments before it even launched when it was announced that the character of Samantha, played by Kim Cattrall, would not be returning for the next chapter in Just Like That. But then anybody that has watched the first few episodes, and we will be giving you spoilers uh, because... It's been hard to avoid them if you, um, in the last few weeks anyway. But then some of the major things that have come through since, since the episodes have started, including uh, the death of Mr Big, the long-time uh, love interest of Harry who ran through all six uh, seasons of the original series. So I think where we start is what's different? People seem to be quite shocked that the show has evolved and has changed so much. So I think lots of people talking initially in episode one about Samantha's presence there, the age of the women, what they look like, what are they doing now, what's what's post-COVID kind of New York look like. But then at the end of episode one, as Big dies, a whole lot of other conversations then started to flow. And I think you've jumped on one of the one of the more interesting things for me, which a lot of the press had picked up and again, is is shocking in its own way, is this really is one of the only shows on television showing women in their 50s. Women in their 50s that aren't, you know, side players or, you know, grumpy, disgruntled women or, you know, at the end of their life and feeling invisible. Like they are 
the stars, it's built around them. And you're right, you know, it's caused so much controversy because it's unusual. And um, I guess as progressive and groundbreaking as the show was at the time, people have now had a few decades to digest the original series. And of course, in, you know, any show will age not perfectly, like say. So there's definitely things that I, I feel like they're trying to address, whether it was necessarily a conscious decision or not. But the new series jumps straight into some really, I guess, hot button issues around uh, particularly race and uh, gender and sexuality. How do you feel like the reboot has been addressing those issues? Yeah, it's kind of taken them head on, hasn't it? First of all, one of the criticisms of Sex and the City was that it was, you know, it was very white in in, in who it in who it represented. That the four characters were were white, but also white privilege. So you go straight into a scene. Miranda has has kind of quit corporate law and has gone back to university, and says outright that she's struggling to understand um, or how best to deal with her biases, um, whether conscious or unconscious and the issue of white privilege does come up we then jump into having a broader kind of ensemble of characters that kind of add to the world of the three three leading ladies and I think it says a lot about what Samantha's character did she brought so much honesty and you know she just punched through and almost helped the the women evolve on their journey and I think they're they're definitely from the first episode we've got a sense and as their series has proceeded that they're going to play more of a role in bringing some different perspectives. But one of the things I thought was really interesting in the first episode, you know, Carrie's always been a journalist and a writer. She, you know, had a, a column in a newspaper and then famously a very successful book. She's now doing podcasts and Instagram. And it kind of made me think that when this first came out, all the things that have happened since this show was made and Instagram and podcasting, for example, you know, weren't mainstream things or weren't invented yet. And so much of what I think made Sex in the City so popular and so famous at the time is it was almost Instagram on television. Like you would be looking at the places they were eating, the clubs they were going to in New York, the cool hotspots of New York were often, you know, woven into the story of the show from, you know, famous New York Yankees to, you know, whoever the hottest model was or the best places in Manhattan to go out for dinner. And in a world when you didn't have Instagram, it was almost a gateway to New York. It was a gateway to a kind of different world of privilege and you know, people kind of live vicariously through the show. They had never gone to New York or they kind of felt that they were connected to New York and that city through the show in a way that probably Instagram and social media does today. So it was interesting to see them bring that into the show um, straight away up front as they kind of really looked at the things that had changed since the show had finished. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that the show obviously aired late 90s to, to early 2000s, took a break and then made some films. But the level of, I wouldn't even call it criticism I would just say commentary the level of commentary around the reboot is sort of unprecedented like I don't think we've had a show on binge that so many people have had so much to say about and I think that's partially because of Instagram and TikTok and the world that we live in that the the show of the late 90s and early 2000s just didn't exist in because it didn't exist so the show is sort of rightfully getting criticism and commentary that's not surprising to me basically it needed to evolve, even just in the story. Like it was about, you know, the character of Carrie going through, she's in her mid-30s, now they're in their mid-50s. She was looking for love and the journey about what she would build her life around. And the famous last line of the last ever episode of the original series was about the biggest relationship is with yourself. So even though you've found this this guy, you've you know been running around for years trying to find him flanked by, you know, the strength of great friendships, ultimately life will be your own journey and things 
can't always be relied upon. And I think they needed to blow up, and we're probably getting into the, the big death now, but they almost needed to blow up Carrie's life to put her again, like her her worlds at sea, to have another level of the journey. If it was just her kind of happily married or getting divorced and you're following, kind of picking up on the same story, which was her her life around the love that she had, but you kind of needed to put her in a completely new terrain to understand how she grows and evolves as, again, her life um, changes. Um, and I felt like it needed to do something quite drastic. It's been interesting to hear some of the cast and creators talk about that decision in the last few weeks as people have reflected on the show and just kind of what motivated them to do, to do that. And they felt that the show had to evolve and change to really that was the reason why you had to bring it back. If you just went back to the characters in the world that they used to be in or just picked up where they left off, like maybe more that the films did, it wouldn't evolve. Yeah, I think we'd be watching a very different show if, A, it was all four of them back back together, um, and, B, if the show doesn't kick off with this, you know, huge death of a character, uh, it really does set off the series in a direction. Uh, we are only three episodes in at the moment. They're, they're rolling out weekly, so we've still got um, nearly two months of, of episodes ahead of us. So I guess it will be interesting to see where the series kind of finds its feet and rhythm and what direction it heads heads in, but has definitely spent these first few episodes really de- dealing with the, the massive plot point of the, the death of Mr. Big. And you're right about the rhythm. Like I think a lot of people would have watched that first episode and gone, this, this show feels different there's bits of that were familiar but it, it you could literally feel it trying to break the rhythms of what you'd been accustomed to with the sex in the city episode and I think as um you got to the end of that episode and that you know kind of big meaty tragic event happened and you got kind of into the gritty darker elements of where sex in the city used to go but that was always done with an you know with a lighter tone you really realized that it was reframing the rhythm of what you what this show might be and I think then how we watch the mourn and grow and evolve is going to be really interesting. John, we are only three episodes into this 10-episode first season and there are so many storylines that are happening every episode from Big's death to um, alcoholism to sexuality to all these different themes, but there's also a lot going off happening off screen. There was the controversy with the Peloton bike um, and Peloton turning around an ad really quickly because apparently their stock price went down when he died on a bike. Spoiler. This week we've had the allegations against the actor Chris Knopf. There's been a statement out by Cynthia Nixon, Kristen Davis and Sarah Jessica Parker today saying um, that they kind of acknowledge uh, the women that have come forward and are, are very sad to hear about this. But feels like this is also something that um, I'm sure we'll be hearing more about over the coming weeks. Do you masturbate? I feel like that's a trick question. Do you? Uh, Senator, I'm going to wait for my counsel before I respond to that. Is this for your new book? For the podcast. I have to step my pussy up. Well, I don't know what we're talking about, but I like the sound of it. The Uninitiated, HBO's multi-Emmy award-winning drama succession, follows the lives of the Roy family, the owners of a vast media empire, and the fight for control of the company. Oh, there he is, the little man who started this big war. You dragged our reputation through the mud. You're acting out a personal grudge against Dad. There's a foundational sickness within our father and his company. It's war. The sprawling series takes place in the world of the mega-rich, consequence-free world of wealth, privilege, and the power that comes with it. 
Season three has just wrapped up. If you've not watched the show, it means you have 29 episodes waiting for you. Um, and if you have watched the show, then you're probably scrambling to find people to talk about that series finale. Ali, I, I absolutely love this show. I could not be more on board. I, you know, clamoured to watch it every week the minute that it came out. Are you a succession head too? Oh, I am. I'm very firmly in the succession camp. And when you were saying before that there's 29 episodes that have been made, part of me wishes I was somebody that hadn't, you know, stumbled across succession yet because you've got 29 awesome episodes ahead of you. How lucky are you? But also it's something I've gone back and watched the last episode a couple of times already because it was just such amazing television in my view. So let's be the people that want to talk about it together now. And if you haven't, if you're listening and you haven't heard it, uh, watched it, uh, really recommend that you you get on board Succession. And I think I've, you know, I've sold this show to a lot of friends. I, I now tr- am trying to sell it to Australia every day on Binge. Um, I have noticed I think, you've got it in the carousel a lot, John. Well, it is a very popular show. Um, but I think... Um, for people who aren't familiar with the show, it might look a little bit dry or a little bit corporate or a little bit, you know, inside baseball um, or, you know, it might look like it's about the stock market or property developers or something just when you see the posters of a bunch of people in suits um, or, or it might look like suits. Um, but I think it's worth pointing out um, this show is absolute, you know, peak prestige television no doubt about it but it's also hilarious like this show is um there's just a thread of so much you know literally laugh out loud humor um that goes with all the sort of trauma and tragedy and high stakes drama of it all there's also just this you know amazing comedic beats to it I think part of that is um the the creator of the series spent a long time in the world of sitcoms he he wrote the British series Peep Show people are familiar with that so it's definitely got this sort of great dry British comedy sensibility to it wrapped up in this amazing shiny very expensive HBO drama Really good summary. It is, you know, there's a black comedy and a drama element to it, is it? But I just think it's the relationship between, at the end of the day, if you take the corporate world away and the very, even the very wealthy world that they sit in, it's it's the family dynamics. There's four siblings in the Roy family, uh, but three of them work in the business. And there's a constant fighting for the attention and the approval of their father who oversees the, the media kingdom. But in this last season, especially the way the sibling rivalries and the sibling dynamics went to another level has just been just so interesting to follow. There are a couple of lines in this last episode and the season finale where I think um, the character of Shiv says, why don't we talk to each other rather than to Vanity Fair? But you realise that it's probably the first time these people really have had a meaningful conversation with each other. And um, that to me transcends the corporate moneyed world that is succession and it, it takes it to just a really interesting study and motivation of people. Yeah, definitely. That's that's a really good point to make. Uh, you know, part of my sort of love and, you know, fandom of this show is that it does exist in this world that's a lot of, that's very much of interest to me. It's the, the world of media. It's buying and selling companies and launching streaming services and you're doing all these things that, you know, I have a general interest in wrapped up in this amazing drama. But I think for people who do not care about who owns what newspaper or who owns, you know, what streaming service. Yeah. The point that you've made is really good because it, yeah, absolutely is just this family drama that happens to just be in this, you know, quite exciting world of um, media. And it's just so well-written. It's like a masterclass in, in television writing. And there are a couple of um, scenes in this final episode as well that were like, 
art on screen. Like you just shots, they were in Italy, they're crossing Lake Como, they're in helicopters and there's just so much that is evoked and, you know, comes through in these scenes. And I, I just think it's a, um, it's a really brilliant piece of television. It's a little bit of a critic darling and it's got, you know, lots of fans and lots of followers. I think it deserves an even bigger audience. This season it has, it has grown um, as the season's gone on and the finale, um, you know, was very successful both in Australia for Binge and Foxtel but also HBO in America. And there's certainly, if, if those of you out there that are on board Succession and are wondering, season four has been commissioned. Uh, it was announced in October that it would be getting a fourth season. Uh, we can only hope it's not too long away. And all three seasons of Succession are streaming for you now on Binge. First two seasons have uh, 10 episodes each. Third season, for entirely creative reasons, is only nine episodes. So don't be concerned that you're missing anything out. And as Ali said, we are looking forward to a season four, hopefully sometime next year. Cool. I actually, uh, I finally got paid. <laughs> boy. Yeah. Okay. It's like they're not yeah. paying the light bill here, but... Um, <laughs> But I actually got paid, and uh, I was thinking about maybe going to. Um, uh, have you ever visited the uh, California Pizza Kitchen? <laughs> no, dear Lord, no. It's pretty delicious, Tom. No, no, it isn't, Greg. I mean, you might think it tastes delicious, but they make a Cajun chicken linguine just how I like but it. But that's not how you're supposed to like it. Okay, you probably have quite uh, an undereducated palate. So let's go out, and I'll teach you and I'll show you how to be rich, okay? It'll be fun. Binge's first original series, Love Me, premieres on Boxing Day. This six-part series is the story of three family members in their 20s, 30s, and 60s, all navigating romance, grief, and the surprises that life throws at you. Ali, it's very, very exciting that we're out, out there making original series. Um, you're not only one of the producers of the series, but uh, you're the reason this show is getting made. Why is this Binge's first original series? Oh, John, I'm so excited for Australia to see Love Me. We've been working hard. This has been our little COVID baby um, in a bubble this year in Melbourne and Sydney shooting this show. We, I, I just felt and we felt that Australia needed a really good love story. And when we commissioned the show at the beginning of 2021 and we'd all just come through COVID in 2020 and we thought that was hard, um, and we thought, gosh, we need something uplifting. And then to have had the year that we've had that's followed with 2021, I only believe that more so. Um, I think this is a show that shows you that life has challenges and it doesn't run smoothly or in a linear way that you can have something terrible happening in your life and something beautiful and they can coexist. Uh, but also it's the things in life that are most difficult that you can grow and evolve through and from. So I think, I think with Love Me, it's a, it's by no means like a bubblegum rom-com. This is a, um, a, a gritty, complex interesting story of love across the ages and that love impacts your life uh, regardless of your age and it can expand your world um, if you choose to be brave and let it in but it also looks at families uh, and the dynamics and there's a I'm not going to give spoilers away but there's a, a big episode um, a big thing that happens at the end of the first episode that really sets the family members the Mathesons off in a different direction. And Hugo Weaving plays the father, Glenn Matheson, the father to 
Clara and Aaron. Clara is played by Bojana Nabokovic and Aaron by Will Lodder, a great mix of, of cast that star in this series. Um, and over the six episodes, you see where love and grief take them. So there's one cast member you haven't, well, there's a couple of cast members you haven't mentioned yet, but one that I know um, as soon as the trailer went out, everyone went a little wild for. That's true. That's the Australian actor Bob Morley, who lots of you might know listening um, as Bellamy from The 100, also uh, started his career, I think, on um, Home and Away. He's been living in America for many years and he came home to shoot this series for us, which we did shoot uh, in Melbourne. Now there's some... I guess, quite dark moments, some quite light moments, some quite hopeful moments. There's, you know, you really do run the, the whole gamut of, of emotion throughout the series. One of the lighter moments is provided by one of Australia's favourite comedians, though. Celia Pacola, who yes. plays the role, um, she plays the role of Sasha, who is Clara's best friend. Clara's a doctor. They work in a hospital in Melbourne. And, yeah, Sasha, Celia's character, plays her best friend. She's the kind of character you just want to, praise and jump in the television and say thank you to her uh she gives really frank advice that sometimes you can only hear from the people that love you the most or that know you the best Clara's a really complicated woman she's 38 years of age and she hasn't had a, a really successful long-term relationship and she hasn't found um a relationship that she's kind of searching for and her friend knows why so you will follow her through a whole um, round of kind of bad dates but she's actually there with the best advice um as as her relationship really starts to take off as well and uh as the curveballs ensue so melbourne is beautifully portrayed in in the series um you you were able to get in and film some scenes uh, that probably wouldn't have happened if, if it wasn't shot during lockdown. So Melbourne is beautifully portrayed. It's probably worth mentioning the original inspiration of, of the series. Yeah, the series Love Me is based on a, a Swedish series called Alska Meg uh, that's shot in Stockholm. And I think when we were looking at, uh, at where we wanted to set this show, it just felt like it had to be Melbourne to me. There's just a great reflection of contemporary modern Australian life you know, lane living and warehouse apartments and, you know, the cafe culture. And Melbourne's almost another character in the show. And as you said, there were one of the, the few silver linings of COVID and we're very thankful we got to shoot this under a very close set and, and very strict conditions um, during COVID. But one of the benefits um, was that we were able to get access to yeah, locations in the city that you normally can't shoot because they're full of trams and people and, and bustling city life. So I think, yeah, having lived in Melbourne for a long, long time and, and, you know, such a fan of the city, I think it shows off the city so well. Some of the scenes, and it's, it's Melbourne in winter, it's almost Parisian down by the river. We, we take you across the bridge and by the Yarra and lots of different, yeah, locations all over Melbourne. So, Ali, we spend, we've spent most of our careers and most of our days uh, watching pilots and watching series and reading scripts, um, looking to acquire content to, to bring to the screens um, on Binge. As we've mentioned, this is Binge's first original series. What's that experience been like for you? It's been really exciting, John, and really interesting. But you're right, there's so many things that we've either read scripts for or judged off a pilot um, we do watch lots and lots of different shows. So, um, yeah, making sure that there was something unique and, and a real hook about this. I actually came across the Swedish version of the show um, a few years ago when I was in London. It jumped off the screen. It really caught my attention. And I think what we really wanted to do with a, a first binge original, like I said before, is like create a, you know, a really interesting modern day love story. But we wanted to, there's lots of shows that we could buy. And I think that the, the feeling I had was that, 
I was looking for a type of romantic drama that I hadn't seen. Uh, so we had to make it. Um, and that's that's been an interesting um, interesting process and, yeah, getting to get really involved in the casting and, and the story arcs and the writer's room has been, been a real treat rather than buying something finished off the shelf. Hopefully everyone is um, going to fall in love with this family and particularly this couple as, as much as I know you and I have um, through the through the creation of this series. Love Me premieres Boxing Day on Binge. Hopefully you're seeing it on the sides of buses and billboards on the sides of buildings. Um, and Ali, hopefully you're also hearing it on the radio. We've got the sublime Julia Stone who's recreated the 80s love ballad, I Want to Know What Love Is, with her signature style um, and put a new fresh twist on it. It's fans watching along and look for the um, the eggs throughout the series. It comes up in a number of episodes and it also you'll see it on the TV advertising for the show, but it is the Love Me sound- soundtrack. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode of Skip Intro, the Binge podcast. Uh, this week we discussed the Sex and City reboot and just like that, we discussed Succession and we talked about Binge's very first original Love Me. All of these are streaming on Binge or will be streaming on Binge very soon. Um, you can, of course, find Binge on all your favourite devices. Um, I'm John Bohm. On behalf of Ali and myself, thank you for listening. This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Chris Gates, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.